Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This is the Analyzing Anfield podcast on the Blood Red channel, bringing you the best tactical and statistical analysis of Liverpool FC. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Analyzing Anfield, your tactics and analytics podcast, courtesy of the Blood Red channel. I'm Josh Williams and I'm joined by Mo Stewart. Mo, how's your week been, mate? Not bad, not bad, actually. Uh, better than Liverpool Football Club's week, that's for sure. A lot, <laughs> probably just as calm in terms of what I've been doing, as in not a lot, but a lot more enjoyable. Yeah, I mean, it's another difficult result. Uh, two all against Wolves, despite Liverpool playing their strongest team, playing at Anfield and playing against a team that I think is 19th in the Premier League. So, again, I don't want to go too deep into it. I think it's still a case of the midfield still needs fixing. I think Liverpool should have won the game. No, I don't think Liverpool played particularly well. Should have had enough to win the game, didn't. Um, But it's kind of what I said last week in terms of, like, this is Liverpool now. This is what we're dealing with for the next six months, in my opinion. Unless we, uh, <laughs> yeah. unless we fix it this month. back on that at the time but it's almost like that game was an ex- ep- uh, exercise in summer saying see see this is what we're on about <laughs> so yeah, yeah i bow to your great knowledge on that one <laughs> but, uh, listen i would rather be wrong mate trust me um, <laughs> but today anyway obviously with that being a bit of a negative one and with it now being thursday today we're recording we're going to put down the back burner a little bit because i don't think we learned we learned much new on the, on that game, um, but we are going to talk about some things we didn't get to last week, some transfer links, things like that, and then we're going to have a little look ahead to what's coming. Uh, but we'll start with links to Matthias Nunes, and I suppose that's relevant considering he, he did actually play against us a few days ago in that game against Wolves. Yeah. Um, but we didn't touch on that last week, and obviously news that's kind of came out, rumours if you like, is that... Um, he curiously moved to Wolves for about 44 million, I think it was, with a view to moving to Liverpool the summer after for the same price, I think is what I've read. Which is a really weird, curious way of doing things. I'm not sure why that would happen like that. I mean, it sounds like um, creative agent work to me, just to kind of get the players at Anfield somehow or something. But um, the way it is that Liverpool, he's very much on Liverpool's agenda for the summer. Obviously, can't, it can't be this month because he can't play for another club this season because he's already played for two. Um, but what are your thoughts? I mean, I know what your thoughts are, Mo. You, you are a fan of him. He was in your picks the other week, wasn't he? Yeah. I mean, I've been pretty consistent on this since the summer, saying that he's a guy who we should have been in for. I was disappointed to see him go to Wolves. The deal, It's a weird thing because even at that point, there were rumours of an agreement in place for him to be able to come to Liverpool a year later. And you try and look at that from uh, all perspectives. So from the perspective of the player, he obviously gets settled in to the Premier League in probably a slightly lower 
uh, pressure environment, even though he probably wasn't anticipating a relegation battle. Um, and then in theory gets to go on and move to a Champions League club still while he's young. Uh, obviously, from the agent's point of view, you can see why it works well to have two deals in a short space of time. It works out quite well financially for him. For Liverpool, it's interesting because I I, I have no real um, kind of idea on this, but I suspect that there was some disagreement on Nunes within the scouting recruitment team. And maybe a compromise, I agree. I agree. Maybe a compromise was, okay, let's see how he does in the Premier League for a year and if you're right then we'll do the deal so basically for everyone except Wolves you can see why this happened however the problem is is that the 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 absolute craters in the middle of our midfield that have happened between the summer and now kind of make that a little bit foolhardy it's almost like well you can see why they wanted to wait but now it looks like it was the wrong decision maybe sometimes you've got to take a risk on a player who you think will do well for you. Maybe it's a case of the the people who were saying yes needed to be the right people who can kind of overrule the wrong people, if you see what I mean. But um, <laughs> but however it, it shakes up, and now we're in a situation where even though we only played 27 minutes at the, at the weekend at Anfield, you could see in those 27 minutes that he would make a massive improvement to what we're trying to do. Well, I, I think that in the summer when, when Klopp, Klopp had a press conference at the end of the summer transfer window, I think, and he specifically said, and it was kind of uncharacteristic of him, he said it was, he wishes or he would be willing to take more risk when it comes to the transfer market. And it felt like a bit of a dig at maybe a sporting director, maybe FSG, maybe even the stats guys. Could have been anything, but I think he was talking about Nunes in, in, in those comments. I think he was talking about Matthias Nunes in those comments. And to be honest, I do understand why Liverpool would have some reservations about him. I think if you watch him play, it's quite obvious he has real talent and he, he, he's got a high ceiling and he's got lots of potential. Um, Really clean on the technical side of the game and very modern in the sense that he can he can just glide across the pitch when he's in full flow and things like that. But I, he is a weird player, though, to nail. If, if you look at his, his numbers in particular, his numbers are really curious, I think. Have you, have you checked his numbers, more? Because he, he comes across like a player that's really difficult to kind of paint. Um, I've kind of glazed over them, not so much his Wolves numbers, more his Sporting Lisbon numbers. But I think... What I have noticed from his Wolves play is that he is playing in a slightly different position. He's playing more advanced for Wolves than he ever did for Sporting Lisbon, which might be a reason why he's slightly looking different to how he did previously. But, I mean, it was, again, going back to the last game, he actually came on for Guedes, uh, who was playing up front, essentially, with that Raul Jimenez. So they kind of changed the shape when he came on. But they were also looking for a goal. So he was still seen as kind of like an attacking threat in that respect but I mean I think with any player when you're looking at their numbers you have to obviously think about them in the context of the team they're around and if they're not doing certain things that you'd want them to do if they were playing for Liverpool is that because they aren't capable of doing them is it because there's someone else in the team whose job it is to do them I always think about that and it's something when we come on to the next guy we're going to talk about it's also very important but 
I still think he's young enough in his Premier League career, certainly, to maybe say that the player he looks like at the moment isn't necessarily the player he's always going to be. Yeah, I mean, to be honest, if, if, if you to look at him, I would expect him to be a really progressive player above all else. He, he, he looks like a attack-minded sentiment to me, like so a player who's going to take risks on the ball. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the curious elements of his numbers is those types of players, for me, are the types of players who, who, who break the lines with passes and thread the ball through the eye of a needle and you know, like a Thiago or a, yes. someone like a Matteo Kovacic, maybe is someone I, uh, who I was associating Nunes with. But if you actually look at his numbers, he's in the bottom 8% of central midfielders across Europe for progressive passes, mm-hmm. which is really, really low. Uh, he averages low. about Yeah, he averages about two per 90 over the past year, over the past mm-hmm. 12 months. And I've I've just had a look at his numbers at Sporting just to see if they were any different when he was playing in a, in a different side. And at Sporting, it was it was three point five per ninety, which is still low. Um, for a bit of perspective, I've just got the Premier League up now, mm-hmm. and some of the players who were averaging two progressive passes on a per ninety basis. Um, just I mean, just complete random. I'm not, I'm not going to stick to midfield. Dwight McNeil, um. Bukayo Saka, who's playing much further up the pitch. Mm-hmm. Um, James Justin, N'Golo Kante, uh, Ryan Fraser, Anana, who's at Everton now. Um, so, yeah, it's just, I think that's a really curious thing that I didn't expect, just now that I've had a, a bit of a deeper look at what he's doing. Mm. Now, it's, it is interesting. And like you say, progressive passes are always something that you expect out of a central midfielder. And if he was going to be playing for Liverpool in that position, that's what you'd expect. Like I say, when you're comparing it to his Wolves time in particular, being further up the pitch probably means that you are less likely to play progressive passes because it does depend on a certain amount of distance. But like you say, his sporting numbers were quite low as well. And generally, it wasn't like he was playing alongside someone who plays a lot of those kind of passes. Like if you played... It would normally be Ugarte who played alongside him, who was more of a destroyer. So it is something in this game that, like you say, it seems an anomaly. But for me, I think that the, he makes up for that with his dribbling ability and his ability to carry the ball, which I think, he, again, in um, a game against uh, Liverpool just gone, he managed to complete, what, three successful dribbles in 27 minutes and he played one key pass. So it is clear that that's his main way of progressing the ball. And if we are going to have someone else who is more of a passer, like a Thiago or maybe someone else coming in playing that similar role, then maybe that's his complement. Is then you have one who's looking to break the lines of passing, one who's looking to break the lines with carrying the ball. But I don't know. Maybe that's the plan. Yeah, I mean, if you look a bit deeper into his numbers, it's it's interesting that he's actually in the ninety fifth percentile of midfielders, which is really high for progressive passes received. Um, so in terms of receiving those passes, he, he, he's, you know, right up there with the very best of them. But in terms of making those passes, he's at, you know, the very bottom. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's interesting because you've just touched there on the fact that he's a bit of a dribbler and he's a, he's a keen ball carrier and things like that. 
And this kind of ties in with my the, the concern I have with this, maybe. and Because I, I do like him as a player, but th- when we did those picks uh, a few weeks ago, you, I don't know if you noticed, but he, were, he wasn't in my picks. He wasn't no, even in my wild. He wasn't even in my wild cards. And the reason for that is because although he's a good player, I wasn't sure that he addressed the specific problem attached to Liverpool's game at the minute, which is primarily against the ball. Liverpool defensively are not are wide open, and I got the picture from Nunes that he's like he's quite a expressive. Um, kind of free flowing centre mid who who likes to glide up the pitch with the ball and uh, and despite that he doesn't actually play that many progressive passes which is weird. Mm. Um, even his numbers number of passes attempted, just how many passes he makes pay on a pay and empty basis, he's just really low on that. Bottom twelve percent. I know that can stem from how dominant the team is that you're in and things like that, but he does look to me like a just an odd profile. And um, I'm not sure his profile is specifically what Liverpool uh, need at the minute. But I mean, then, then again, I have to I have to throw in there that he he is still really good. He's quite obviously very talented and things mm. and things. But see what I'm getting at? I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I think in turn a lot of that though isn't just down to his attributes as a player. A lot of it's down to the structure we put them in, and mm. I think that's as much an issue right now as the players in the structure if you ask me. But I think when you're looking at it from the other side of the 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 coin in terms of his what he does defensively, I think he's very good at pressing the ball. He is an athletic player who would be able to have the energy to get in and around the pitch. So in the right system, I think he can be of use defensively and in theory can solve part of the problem we've got, i.e. the big gaping holes through the midfield. But again, I do think a lot of that is down to the structure of how we build up play, etc. The thing we have to remember within all of this is that even if we bring in the absolute perfect player, it's not going to be a quick fix because getting up to speed in Liverpool midfield is still a really hard thing to do. We've kind of forgotten because we've only got one new midfielder in the last four and a half years, but that was what we were all talking about before then how difficult it is to get up to speed in the midfield. So whoever comes in, there's going to be that as well. But I think when you look at who we actually do bring into the building, not just who we're targeting, because so much of that can be a um, your, your A idea, your B idea, your C idea, and what you end up with. But once we get the players in and look at the characteristics we've got, that's when we can see how we can go forward in terms of, how we can build a plan with these players to stop what has been going on. Yeah, I mean, how would you feel if in the summer Liverpool bought two midfielders to fix the problem and it was Bellingham and Nunes? How would you feel about that? I'd want to see the plan. (laughs) 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 Um, Yeah, I, I mean, I think... I'd still wonder whether or not we needed another in there. But we have seen before... Do do, do you mean another as in a defensive-minded presence? Is that what you mean? Yeah. Yeah. Well, not just a defensive-minded presence. Someone who is happy to stay deep. Because that is the thing with Nunes, is that 
he is going to be a runner an eight essentially who's going to be able to do the defensive work and do an offensive work but we are going to need someone whose main remit is not necessarily going to be much further than the other side of the center circle and that is going to be what helps us uh break down all of these counter-attacks through the center of our pitch analyzing anfield on the blood red channel this episode is supported by fx's clipped the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped. Streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. Well, what you've just said there brings me to a quote that I thought was interesting earlier in the season. So when Wolves let uh, Bruno Large go, they replaced him with Steve Davis temporarily. Mm-hmm. Um, now, I don't know that much about Steve Davis, <laughs> but he made a comment about Nunes because he was asked about him because he started using him as a number 10, which I think mm-hmm. is interesting. Um, so he said, Matthias has got huge talent. It's just about finding a place for him in the team and where he's going to be at his best. Hopefully we found that position for him so that he can excel and push on. I see him higher up. I see him as an eight, really. We tried him in the midfield too. He needs to learn that position. He was very loose in that position. We want him to be loose, but he's better being loose in higher positions with his running and ability to get past people. And he did elaborate on, you know, he's a good dribbler and all that sort of stuff. But w- those words, very loose. Mm. Th- th- that's a concerning phrase for a player who is supposed to be fixing Liverpool or contributing at least to fixing Liverpool's extremely yeah. leaky midfield. You know what I mean? True. True. Although even those comments have to be taken within slight context because... We don't know what, like you say, we don't know what Steve Davis means by loose because if he means he's trying lots of things and losing possession a lot, then that's kind of understandable for a guy new in the league, wanting to impress, probably trying to do a bit too much too soon. You can coach that out of him. If it's something in terms of his positioning, as in they're trying to get him to stay in the structure and he's wandering off, then that's probably a little bit more concerning. But again, I think that's something that coaching does. I don't think it's possible always, particularly in the situation we find ourselves in, to find someone who's not going to have to have a little bit of coaching, a little bit of maybe some of their weaknesses uh, improved upon quickly before they can be effective. I think where we're at, we're either going to have to pay lots of money for players or we're going to have to do that. In some cases, both. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, I think very loose. I, I would interpret as um, probably positionally. I I think I I I would uh, another player that I would describe as very loose, particularly around that age was was Gerard. I think Gerard was really a really loose player, and you know he'd pop up everywhere, and a lot of that was just because that's the kind of player he was. He was all action, wasn't he? He was, you know, I'll do it all, the complete midfielder and things like that. So he just kind of popped up everywhere and. Funny enough, it didn't take long before Rafa Benitez started to use Gerard as a 10 uh, for similar reasons. So, again, when it comes to Nunes, if we're like rounding up on him or whatever, 
I do like him as a player, and I think he would be. I think he'd be good for Liverpool, and I think he just he's got real quality, special traits that you can't really coach. Mm. But if we if we look at what Liverpool are suffering from at the moment, I don't think he's a fix for that. I don't think he addresses that that much. I think if you if you put Nunes in Liverpool's midfield this season, I think I'm not sure the problems go away. If I'm honest. Whereas if you put if you put someone like Declan Rice in Liverpool's midfield this season, maybe mm. that goes some way towards resolving what we're suffering from. Um, but it's it's an interesting link anyway. I mean, I've just checked it. Julian Lopetegui is now in charge at Wolves, mm. and it looks like in his his league game against Villa, the last league game that he played against Villa, it looks like Nunes did play as part of a two alongside Neves. Um, so maybe he can, maybe it was Steve Davis being a bit old school English, but it's his coach, you know what I mean? So I don't know. We'll have to wait and see. It is very interesting though, because like you say, different coaches will have different ideas on what they think a player can do and different ideas on what a player is doing, whether it's good or bad. So I think in some ways, maybe this is kind of what Liverpool wanted. They just wanted more data on him and they're going to get that chance if, if we're going to see him playing a double pivot from now on. Yeah, I think my slight worry is just Liverpool are already, I think, slightly overloaded in terms of attack. Um, we we had a we had Dan Kennett on the show actually a few months back, and one of the things he mentioned that I thought was, was spot on really was that we don't have enough piano carriers in the team, mm. um, people to actually carry the creative sparks basically. And oh, I think yeah. Nunes, I think Nunes is good, but I don't think he's a, I don't think he's a water carrier in that sense. No, I mean. You can see a world where there's a midfield with a defensive midfielder and then Nunes and Bellingham, and it is ultra-attacking, but you can see that as a plan, that works as a plan. Or it, you, what you were saying before about if you put Nunes in Liverpool's midfield, would it solve the problem? I think it could solve some of the problems if he was playing as a 10, but there would still need to be a better structure behind him. So, for example... The times when it looked like we were starting to fix things just before the break, when we were playing three with the midfield and um, Firmino was drawn behind Salah and Nunes. If you put Mateus Nunes in the Firmino role there, I think he'd work well there. But like you say, the rest of the structure would still need fixing with other players or maybe just better play from those players. So there is uses. I just think in terms of the big problem... He's not the guy to put in and solve the big problem. If you're looking at that, to be honest, there's another Portuguese midfielder who came to the Premier League in the summer who probably would do a very good job of that in João Paulinho. But we're not going to get onto him. (laughs) (laughs) Funnily enough, yesterday I was looking at um, just the basic defensive numbers of the Premier League this season for uh, tackles and interceptions, just totals. He's right up there, isn't he? Paulinho is completely on his own at the minute. He's, he's, it's quite a dis, dis, distance between him. I think he's on like 99 or something. And second is, um, I think it was Tyler Adam actually on, on like 81 or, or whatever. So he's well out in front at the minute. Um, but yeah, we'll leave, leave the Nunes chat there. It's one to think about, one to keep an eye on as, as the season progresses, see if he kind of um, changes his game under Lapategui or whatever. But another player who's been linked is uh, Toon Coop Miners of Atalanta. Uh, interesting link. What, what do you know of him? Are you a fan or, or are you surprised I, or anything like that? 
I am a fan. Um, I do European shows both for here and for the Anfield rap. And one of the guys I speak to regularly is Connor Clancy, who's an Italian journalist, but also an Atalanta fan. And he has been very, very pleased with Coke Miners. And because of him, I watch a lot of Atalanta. And I can see why he's been pleased with him. He he looks like a very Atalanta player in as much as you can see him popping up in lots of different positions. They've played him as a centre-back. They've played him as a defensive midfielder. And they've played him as a slightly more advanced midfielder. And he's kind of excelled in all areas. The thing I like about him, you can see, you can look at his game and see where it fits into our play because he's someone who does tend to stay deep, but he has a fantastic passing range. He can make a tackle. Uh, he's an intelligent presser, and he's a and in terms of those attributes that we were talking about from a six, he's got most of them. Yeah, well, I'm gonna give myself a little bit of a pat on the back here, <laughs> <laughs> and the reason for that is because really long-term listeners of the show will will hopefully remember me flagging this kid years ago, and I'm talking pre-COVID, like. We were recording this show in um, in the Liverpool Echo podcast studio, which no longer exists. Oh wow! So this this was back when we did a, we did an episode called Scouting Picks, and we do it every now and then. I'm not sure if we've done one yet, Mo. But what we do is rather than picking out players that are specifically um, suited to Liverpool or whatever, we will just dedicate an episode to picking out players that we just think are interesting. And I remember picking out Coop Miners for one of them. When he was at AZ Alkmaar, yeah. Um, shortly after that, he moved to Atalanta, and now it's really interesting that he's getting linked with Liverpool. Actually, um, but yeah, I, I agree with you. I think he's a he's a good player. He's he's, he's coming on. Uh, still only twenty four, um, and he's got lots of perks attached to his game. Six foot one, so he's a good size. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's left footed as well, which I always think is a a nice quality to have. Liverpool only have. I think Harvey Elliott in the midfield who's left footed. And a lot of people don't think he's a midfielder. So um yeah, Coop Mine is an interesting player and um I mean I th- think it's actually interesting as well that it fits in with the Linders theme again. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he's, I just think that as well. It's almost like um they either they um they'd already been in long in the works, obviously it was just an uh, interesting coincidence. Or they just totally doubled down. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but either way, I think it almost kind of makes the point that having a specialty or is not necessarily a bad thing. And I mean, people say, oh, well, it means you're ignoring players in other leagues. Well, yes, Kurt Mann is a Dutch, but he plays in Italy. So clearly there is scouting going on in other leagues as well. But the interesting thing with this one for me is Atalanta and how they play this because they have a very interesting club in terms of their transfer dealings. Sometimes they can just absolutely shut up shop and say, nope, we're not selling anyone, cross their arms and put their fingers in their ears at the same time, if it's possible. But then other <laughs> times you see them making some rather fruity moves, like when they um, basically <laughs> signed Romero after having him on loan, signed him on a permanent deal and then sold him to Spurs in the same summer. <laughs> yeah. So at the moment, they're saying, we're not selling him. We've already sold Malinowski in this window. We're not doing any more deals. Arms crossed, fingers in ears. However, at the same time, there are lots of people who are saying, well, the right bid 
could uncross those arms. And if you look at what Atalanta have at the moment, they do still have Martin Derone. They do still have the Brazilian Edison who can play in the positions that Cone Miners currently plays in. So they wouldn't need to go immediately back into the window. Uh, they only bought him last year. So they've kind of only really paid for half of him. And it was only, what, 14 million euros at the time? So they could quite easily make a, a decent, hefty profit, even if Liverpool were only looking at bidding 25 million. I say only 25 million. But even if it was a bid in that range rather than the 30 to 40, which they're probably after. So there's lots of ways where Atlanta could come out up on this deal. And yes, they are doing okay in the league at the moment, but Serie A is very unpredictable. So you can look at it and say that at the moment they've been with the chance, but at the same time, you can look at it and say, well, the five teams above them probably all got a better chance and maybe even Roma beneath them. So you have to be decisive. And it depends on how decisive Liverpool want to be, how much they believe this is a problem that needs solving in the immediate term, because we all do. The question is, do they? Well, I think financially, it looks like a deal that is is doable. It doesn't look like it's going to be that difficult to strike, really. I mean, he's got a contract until 2025. So this summer, it'll be his final two years. Usually players move around that time. Uh, he's only led, but I'm led to believe he's only on a, about forty grand a week at Atalanta, which means Liverpool wouldn't have to go particularly mad to get bring him to Anfield or anything like that. Um, as I said, he's a good age, twenty four now, and overall as a player, he he's quite well rounded. You know, his, his passing range is good. He's inclined to nick a goal every now and then. Um, in his second, in his final season at Atalanta, he actually scored fifteen league goals. Um, but seven of those were penalties. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and the season before he scored eleven, and uh, nine of those were penalties. So he's obviously a keen penalty taker, and um, I think that also offers an insight into the authority that he had over his teammates at AZ because he was also captain, um, yeah. and that was you know age twenty three and under at the time. So he's obviously a bit of a character, you know, vocal, bit of a leader. Liverpool like to sign those players, yes. um, and I think he, I think he's probably got a, the profile about him where you could potentially use him as an as the left side of number eight and as a number six, maybe you know in yeah. in both roles. Whereas, obviously, we've got some doubts as to whether Nunes could play as a six. Certainly, as a long six, I'm not sure he could do that. Kupmine is maybe a bit more suited to the problem that we were touching on earlier. So I don't mind it. I, I think it's a it's a decent link, and I think he's. I don't think I think Nunes is a better player, weirdly, but I think Coop Miners is better suited to what we're suffering from. Um, so, you know, make whatever no. make whatever that we, what you will. <laughs> I think it's, it's strange though because what we need to find and what we've gone away from slightly, I think, is complementary players, as in yeah. players who make other players better. That doesn't seem to be quite where we're at at the moment, and. Someone like Kurt Miners, I think, is one of those players. For example, if you put Nunes and Kurt Miners together, then I think that Nunes would be a lot more effective than if it was just Nunes. And that's partly due to the roles of what they both play, where they would fit. If they were one a left and a right-sided eight, for example, with another six behind them, I think that they'd thrive. If 
as you say, Kurt Miners was a six, and he had Nunez alongside him as the eight again. But it's how, again, it goes back to what I was saying before, how much are Liverpool willing to, how desperate are they? How big of a problem do they see this? And comparatively, what are the other fixes that they may or may not have in mind? Well, out of interest, do you think Liverpool will move this summer? Or, you know, we have a tendency, don't we, in January to wait until deadline day for some reason? Um, well, not for some reason. I know, I can understand why we do it. Save a bit of money, basically. But um, do you think we'll do it this month or do you think we've done our business? My opinion is going slightly more negative on that than it was previously. Uh, mm. Previously, I felt it was an absolute foregone conclusion that we would definitely bring in at least one with a view to bringing in still another two in the summer. It's looking less likely. I don't know if it's a case that Liverpool are trying to be coy and, like I say, doing a, an eBay special and lumping on in the last half hour. But, <laughs> I mean, personally, I can't say I'm a fan of that deal on that style. What I'm hoping for is another Gakpo-style deal where they just go, ta-da, out of nowhere. Yeah. I would be bang up for that, by the way. Analyzing Anfield on the Blood Red Channel. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Yeah, well, it, it, I wouldn't rule it out. You know, I think it's possible we've seen Liverpool do it, especially late in the window. But I just, I don't know. I really don't know. Um, Nunes is a summer deal. Bellingham is a summer deal. Koopman is potentially this window. Uh, but it's going to be interesting to see whether Liverpool move on. And to be honest, some of the results between now and the end of the window could even determine that if it gets really bad. Like, I am I am slightly concerned about Brighton on the weekend, if I'm honest, because they're very, very progressive team, very good ball playing side, and they can cut you open. And uh, Liverpool are uh, subject to suffering from that lately. I'm, I'm, I'm more than slightly worried, to be brutally honest. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like... In the circumstances, there are very few teams that could have been worse to face right now than Brighton. Yeah, yeah, I agree. In terms of what they do that's so well that we are so susceptible to, i.e. they're great at playing around teams who are bad at pressing. They're great at soaking up pressure and being able to counter. They're great at basically waiting in a game to see what happens. They're good chess players when it comes to football. And to be brutally honest, at the moment, if I was an opponent coach playing Liverpool, my plan would be, let's just wait and see if they do something really stupid and give us a goal and go from there. Because in the moment, it's a 50-50 chance that that's going to happen. Well, you know what's scary is? Brighton, and we've flagged this on this show loads of times over the years, Brighton have always been a good team in terms of like expected goals and stuff. Um, what they've created in attack and things like that, they've always been a really dangerous side. Their problem has always been nobody puts the ball in the net for them. So they tend to underperform and um, 
struggle more than he should, basically. What's scary is past four games, he seems to have found their shooting boots. Mm-hmm. Um, so recently against Middlesbrough, they beat Middlesbrough 5-1. Game before that, they beat Everton 4-1. Game before that, they scored two against Arsenal, albeit they lost 4-2. And the game before that, they scored three against Southampton in a 3-1 win. So they've suddenly started finding the net and uh, they're currently deploying a, a striker as well called, um, his name's F- lad called Ferguson. <laughs> um, he's about, he looks about 6'4", genuinely, but he's a really good ball player with the ball at his feet as well. He scored a few, scored against Everton and um, maybe one against Arsenal as well, I'm not really sure, but keep an eye on him because he looks like a really good player to me. But Brighton, yeah, yeah concerned about them. Well, um, he's already got three goals and two assists, and he's only played six games. So yeah. he's having a big effect. And like you say, in a team like that, that has got so much of the build-up play and the chance creation down pat, or if you need a finisher or someone to be in and around it, you have him. You've also got Matoma, who's come in, and he's been able to produce. But even some of the guys who traditionally had been creating and not really scoring. They started scoring, like Trossard, for example. McAllister's got seven goals already in all comps this season. Pascal Gross is kind of still sticking around, putting goals in. And then, obviously, you've got someone like Danny Welbeck, who's been out injured, who can come in and do a job. So, like you say, yeah, they're almost like they've cracked their one big problem, which makes them even more dangerous. But <laughs> you do wonder whether or not there's any element of... I mean, I, I don't want to say that they're going to go into this game as favourites. I think what they are going to be is a shock if they win. And that's very yeah. different still for Brighton. I don't know whether or not that will be enough to change their mindset. I'm hoping I might be clutching at straws, but we'll have to wait and see. <laughs> yeah, Evan, this is his first name, Evan Ferguson. Mm. And he, he only turned 18 uh, 85 days ago. So, still very much a kid, but doesn't look like it, trust me, and doesn't play like it either. Um, looks like a really good player. And as you mentioned there, Matoma, big fan of him. You know, he's going to be a problem for Trent, I'm sure, on that side if he plays. And um, obviously the midfield too, which we're going to come up against. You know, Liverpool are going to probably play a three. And we're going to come up against McAllister and Casado. And um, to be honest, I'm half looking forward to watching them, just to see... I'm a huge fan of McAllister. I think he's a brilliant player. He reminds me a bit of um, Gundogan. I'm not really sure exactly why, but he, he just looks like such a versatile player. He's really technically clean, can deliver in the final third, pops up with the odd goal, um, puts a foot in more than you'd expect as well. So, yeah, huge fan of McAllister. Um, I suppose one, hype, one hope that we've got with Brighton is that um, defensively they, they've been a little bit susceptible to getting opened up a little bit lately. Um, so Liverpool, I think it could be a high-scoring game. I mean, they've just lost 4-2 to Arsenal. I think it, I wouldn't be that surprised if it went along those lines and ended up like 3 all or something, stuff like that. Um, but it's, And it's obviously going to be Cody Gakpo's Premier League debut. Um, yeah. Played the other day against Wolves. Now, this is the problem with a weekly podcast. We have to talk about <laughs> we- weekly talking points. So we are going to absolutely deconstruct his debut. <laughs> um, so keep your feet on the ground, Mo, but what did you think of his debut? Um, 
I thought it was encouraging in a lot of ways. I think you already saw what I mentioned last week, which was him starting to build up some kind of relationship with Andy Robertson. I thought that was really good. The way that Robertson was already starting to work out when he wanted to go inside. I like the fact that go on a couple of times as well as coming cutting inside. I think there were certain times where you felt like the defense was starting to just do one thing against him and then he switched it up, which I liked. Obviously, he has one shot on, which was a shot on target, but it comes very early on. So you think as the games go on, he's going to become more involved at the sharp end. Personally, I know it seems something quite frivolous, but I think we missed a trick in not letting him take a corner. Like, we only had four, admittedly, but it was his, we spoke in length, at length about his crossing ability, about his corner taking ability. And when you're on your debut and you're trying to get into the game, you're trying to do something positive, even if someone doesn't get at the end of it, the sight of him whipping a dangerous ball into the box, it's going to get the crowd up. It's going to get a cheer going. It's going to get his confidence up. These are the kind of little things when you're in the middle of a debut that can always help. Unfortunately, within the wider context of what was happening in the game, that was no longer quite as important. But I think there's potential there for him to build up the relationships with the players around him and really be quite dangerous. Yeah, I I thought his debut was okay. Simply okay. Nothing more, nothing less. Um, To be honest, if I'm being, I suppose, a bit critical, maybe a bit harsh, um, if every player was playing as a silhouette, I probably would have thought it was Ox. (laughs) <laughs> but and that's, that's not a, that's not a positive. I mean, he's uh, a bit taller than Ox, to be fair. <laughs> yeah, he is. Um, but if we're touching on positives, I think you're right in that. I think he looks like more of a natural fit for Robertson. I think they they are going to benefit each other. Um, Robertson is just naturally a runner and likes to threaten him, threaten him behind. Things like that. We touched last week, I think, on on the fact that Go Gakpo was maybe a bit more of a comes to feet player. So you've got a bit of a dual threat with them today, uh, which will be a problem for opponents to deal with. So that 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 looks good for the future. Um, and I think the one shot that he did have, I think, also offered an insight into what you mentioned at the, at the time when it comes to his ability to go inside or outside, depend using both feet really. Because I think the shot that he took was with his weaker foot, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, well, it was a good shot. And uh, it, it did seem to catch the opposing player at the time by surprise that he that he shifted like that. So I think that bodes well. Um, so, yeah, just a very okay, basic debut. You know, not, not anybody, not everybody's Luis Diaz at the end of the no. day. Not everybody comes in and makes an impact like that. And I think the, the, the important thing to say is that's fine. You know, it's yeah. far too early to get on his back or anything like that. It's just one of those normal debuts. And I don't think it particularly helped either that we conceded first, I think, and uh, it just weren't a great performance. So overall, he's right. forming part of a team that wasn't really working. Whereas when Diaz came in, everything was free-flowing. We were in all four tournaments, everything going great. And Diaz is just going to come in and play a few finals for us, basically. So um, I felt a bit sorry for Gakpo after about half an hour or so when things weren't going according to plan for the team, Wolves were actually causing us a fair few issues. No, I did. And I think when it's your debut, for whoever you are, 
you are relying on your teammates to get you into the game. And I don't think that Liverpool were great at that. But again, that was part of um, a wider problem with in terms of our build-up play and actually getting <clears throat> anywhere near the goal with meaningful chances. But yeah, I think it's not a debut where you can take a lot from, although it is interesting that Klopp did play his first choice 11 based on what you see. Well, based on the players available, what a lot of people would see as the first choice 11. Uh, maybe that was to try and see if he could build up some kind of um, relationships with them or whatever. But yeah, at, the, at that point, in the, at this point in his career, all that you can ask is that every time you got the ball, it looked like a threat. And I think that was probably the case. I don't think he'll start uh, against Brighton. I hope that Firmino is fit and we'll be able to come in and we'll see that um, him withdrawn behind Salah and Nunes, as I mentioned, with Gakpo to come off the bench and maybe turn the game. I feel like he's still in a situation, as much as we do have a space if we're playing a front three on the left, I do still think that we aren't going to be able to just throw him in and keep him playing game, 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 game. I think you are still going to have to kind of pick and choose for a little bit over the course of the next few weeks. Yeah, well, I think a lot of that probably does depend on whether Firmino's fit or not. I, I, I think I can think Gakpo might start, um, but I do think Firmino could be a slightly better fit for this game simply because of how defensively good you have to be, particularly at the front, to defend against Brighton, basically. So since Deserby took charge, they, they do this really... It's, well, it's not that weird, but it looks, it can look kind of weird. It, when they're building from the back, if the centre-backs aren't getting pressurised, they literally just stand there. They stand there on the ball, don't move, and basically, it's kind of like a game of chicken almost, where they, they make their direct opponents press them, and as soon as they press them, they immediately pass around and immediately accelerate the game, and it's really interesting when you see um and I'm not sure if they'll try and do it against Liverpool. Liverpool, I assume, will already be pressing high anyway. But it, the only other team I've seen do it is Manchester City. I can picture John Stones doing it now oh, in my head. They just kind of yeah. walk forward with the ball, literally like they're playing in like a back garden or something, and um, then really quickly accelerate the game. And if you've got Gakpo and Nunes there, compared to like Mane and Firmino in the past, we're just not as defensively great from the front as we were. So... Uh, maybe Firmino is more the man, but one thing I think that's that Liverpool have got to get right. I think that we've lost a little bit, maybe since the World Cup ended. Is I think I don't think we're using the left enough. I don't think don't mm. think we're using the left of the field enough. I think we're very right sided at the minute. It's very Trent, Salah, Henderson, and on the left, um, a lot more quickened up and seeing a lot less of the ball. It feels feels like we're very slanted in our threat. And I thought Gapo would fix that, but he just didn't really get the ball too much against Wolves. So um, mm. I think we need to kind of spread the threat across the across the attack a bit more like we used to. Yeah, definitely. It's interesting, though, because of the three midfielders, um, Thiago, in terms of touches, was miles ahead of the other two. In fact, he probably, I think he had more than the other two put together. So it's almost as if all of the touches on the left-hand side are going to him. And yeah. he's not necessarily then feeding it out 
to a Gakpo or a Robertson. He's maybe trying to feed it into a Nunes or spray it across to a Salah or a Trent on the other side. So, yeah, maybe it's just in terms of the looking at where, where we build up from, how we build up, what our shape's going to be. That's something we can look into. But, yeah, in terms of long balls or maybe balls over the top or balls to chase, then the left feels like a lot more, well, it feels like a good place to do it if you have Gakpo or Nunes in that channel. So maybe that's something to look into. Yeah, well, we will leave it there for this week, mate. Uh, hopefully Liverpool get back on track against Brighton, but I do think it will be a tricky game. Uh, but thanks for joining us. No problem. Always a pleasure. Hopefully Liverpool do the business and then we can all be a little bit happier. <laughs> yeah, hopefully. Uh, so we will be back next week. Do tune in then and uh, we'll see you then. You've been listening to the Analyzing Anfield podcast on the Blood Red channel.